I want to show you a sentence. I want to ask you how it hits you. All right? So this is the first sentence I want you to, to read. Rescue is now coming. How does it make you feel? What does it do to you? What does it stir in you? What does it cause you to, to think and, and hope and, and wonder? Now what about this sentence? What emotions does that stir? What, is, what thoughts do you start to consider? Where do you go in your head and your heart when it's not coming? Storytelling is a fascinating... I love it. I love, I love everything about storytelling. And one of the staples in storytelling is the, is the theme of rescue. Uh, you would be amazed at how much time this year alone the United States spent being rescued in movie theaters. Uh, it's in, in, it, was, it was crazy to me, uh, the, the whole Superman thing, he's always been the game changer for me and superheroes and everything, and I don't care about an emo culture that is anti a superhero who has no you know, flaws, whatever. We want somebody who we know is going to get us through, all right? I don't care about the flaws of a superhero. I want the superhero to come get me, all right? So you, the people who are like, no, we've got to find all the flaws and all the superheroes, stop, really. Just stop, okay? So, Superman, uh, 1933, two high school kids come up with this concept for, soup, for the Superman. And in 1938, DC Comics buys the right to it. Action Comics number one comes out. Superman changes the game for everybody. So, uh, this week, I just kind of gone, in my brain, I don't know why I started asking the question, but I was like, what was going on in the United States in 1933? What would, what would be stirring in some high school kids... For the need to create this Superman. And so for those of you who might be history people, you know that Great Depression, uh, market crash had already happened. But in 1933, that was known as the hardest year of the Depression in the United States. One in four people was unemployed. One in four I mean, we think about it now, we're trying to wrestle with the, the, the discussion and unemployment, but one in four unemployed. Top that with this crazy dust bowl storm thing going on in the Midwest, making farmland unusable, and you've got a mass exodus of people, 2.5 million Americans displaced because of this, this soil issue that's going on. You have poverty levels at an all-time high. You have people with money making a run on the banks because their thought is, I'm going to lose everything. And so what everyone does is they go and take their money out and it actually causes things to crumble and crash worse. Tent cities are being set up and shanty towns and crime rates are growing. Gangsters, not gangsters. I'm talking about gangsters, bootlegging, speakeasies, Crime is on the rise. Diseases are starting to spread because of the low living conditions that America is experiencing. And for the most part, 1933 was a very hard year on the world in general. Unemployment super high, morale super low. And I was reading some different opinions about uh, historically what people see in patterns 
is when unemployment is high and morale is low, it serves as an opportunity for unlikely leadership to rise to the top. 1933 was the year of Hitler's rise. He was no longer jockeying for position. He found himself in leadership. See, I'm not necessarily saying that America is in the same exact place she was in 1933, but when you look around and you consider the unknown, hatred, the collapse of things that we've known and loved for so long, wars, rumors of wars, famine, financial instability, questionable leadership making its rise in America. Unemployment high, morale low, conditions are set for history to repeat itself. So when we look around, America is ripe for rescue. Is it any wonder we spent a lot of our time and money at theaters being rescued? During the Great Depression, did you know that movie attendance did not go down? It actually went up. People longing to escape from what they know. People longing to sit in another place and being taken away or rescued, if you will. And with movies like all the Avengers and superhero movies making a comeback, it's no coincidence that those are popular right now. In 2015 and 2016, Everest, The Martian, San Andreas, 13 Hours, Unbroken, The Finest Hours, The 33, all of these movies telling stories using drama, humor, action, ultimately to bring someone home. It's fascinating. You can just look at all the movies that have come out in the last several years. Princesses, Separated family members, animal rescues, friends being rescued, soldiers, astronauts, explorers, the list goes on and on. Let's not forget about the movies where the main character needs to be rescued from him or herself. You will find that most of the movies you spend your dollar on somehow have to do with rescue. Now, I I don't know if you're like me, but... When you know the type of movie you're going into, you have to, I have to prepare myself mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Like if I'm going to a comedy, no problem. But if I'm walking in and I know there's going to be drama, hashtag all the feels, man, I'm going to go through it. I know I am. And so I have a process when I go into movies. And first of all, and this is just a little bit about me, I do not like to go to movies that have anything to do with the kidnapping of a child. Like... I don't know why I would go there. I mean, I would be weeping. Why am I going to this movie? I I have four children of my own. I don't know why I'm here for this movie. Why am I doing it? I mean, it would be over from the start. And so I don't go to those movies, but I love action and I love rescue. And so when it's a movie that's not about the kidnapping of children and I go and sit, I have a process that I go through. Like, I love the beginning because everything's as it should be, right? You walk in and life is the way it's supposed to be. And then there's the foreshadowing statement of, whether it's the husband or the wife, I'll see you tonight, honey. No, you won't. (laughs) I know what's coming. You won't. I'm going to pick the kids up. No, you're not. It's going to be like weeks before you get home. And so you start to kind of go there in your heart and you're like, Things are not going to stay good. And, and honestly, we would not go to a movie where everything stays good, right? Because it's not human nature. It's not life. If we were at a movie and everything stayed fine the whole time, we would not walk out going, hmm, that was good. 
we would go, that was completely boring. That's terrible. Everything was awesome. That's not life. That's not what it looks like. So I go through the, mo- the emotions of the beginning, and I'm like, okay, I know they're painting the nice picture, but then you have that moment when everything changes. You have that scene where the, uh, the, the, the action or the person or the thing happens where there is going to be a rescue needed, and you're like, oh, no, ah, you know, but you knew it was coming because you stepped into it. And I don't know, maybe you do this, but if you've read the book or you've seen the movie 20 times, in your brain somehow you think that the, the, the people of the movie got together and made it differently just for you. Like, if you've seen a movie 100 times, there's that moment in the movie where you're like, okay, I know this is going to happen, but what if this time when I watch it, it'll be different? What if when I watch it, that doesn't happen and everything works out better? You know, and maybe I'm the only one. I think I am the only one who thinks that thought. That's very strange, and I know maybe you're too much information about how Jason watches a movie. You don't really care about that. That's great. But I do that. And so that moment where everything changes and you're like, oh no, here comes the drama, here comes the action, here comes the the everything. But then there's the part that I love. And this is one of my favorite parts of these types of movies is when they they assemble the team to do the rescue. They assemble who's going to count the cost, who's going to be a part, who's going to step in, who's going to step up and be a part of rescuing this person. And that's why we we kind of start to go, wow, they're counting the cost, and we love this. And one of my favorite scenes in The Martian is when they're sitting around the table in the, in the space station that's headed back to Earth. They're counting the cost of all that they're going to have to do to go back to pick this guy up. And they're sitting around the table, and the, 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 the lead, she's like, look, we got, this has to be unanimous. We're going to all do this, but we're not doing it at all. And she goes, let me just remind you of a couple of things. If us slingshotting around the earth doesn't work, we die. If our slingshot around the earth works and we miss our capsule of food and materials to live on this journey, we die. If our pickup doesn't work and we miss him, we die. So basically, we're going to die if it doesn't go perfectly. And I love the guy's response. He's like, sign me up. Sign me up. And that gives us that, yes, that's what I love. I love people who are counting the cost. They know what's going to cost them, but they could die. And that's why when the rescue attempt fails the first time in the movie, we feel the heartache. We're like, oh, especially if there's a character that loses his or her life in the rescue, because we know they gave up everything to see this person come home. Now, just so you know, I do watch movies in this light. When I see that there's a rescue attempt going on and we're only 40 minutes into the movie, I let myself know they're not going to make it. Don't get all crazy. Don't get yourself worked up. Let your heart calm down. They're not going to make the rescue. We've got too much movie left. And I just, I told you, I have a process to watching movies. I know it's a little strange. It's okay. But then they have the moment of rescue where, where they get them up into the, the helicopter and, or they, they get them onto the boat or they get them here or there, whatever. And we have that all the joy kind of because we see the, the culmination of all that went into rescuing them. And we don't let our guards down until that helicopter is so far out of the ocean that there's no possible way a shark can jump through and grab them. Right? I mean, like, we, we do that. We, we kind of go, I can't let my guard down yet. I can't let my guard down yet. There's going to be a twist. There's going to be a turn. And good, good, good movie, you know, producers do that. But we have that moment where we're just like, yes, they're home. 
And then we have the moment of, now never do whatever it was you did again. Never climb a mountain. You were trapped on a mountain. Never do that again. Never get on a boat again. Never leave your house again. <laughs> I mean, we're like, we have this thing of, well, at least they're safe this time. You know, one of the harder movies of rescue to watch is when you're, you have this front row seat into the life of a person who has no idea they need to be rescued. These are more of the psychological thrillers, the, the ones that are hard to watch because somebody's using this this twisted psychology to keep somebody trapped, and there's these people who are going, no, you're not free. I mean, you know, you got some movies like The Matrix who people don't know they're actually not really living, and you're, you're seeing it, and they're trying to tell them, and, and then you've got your, your, more, your, your, your psychological thrillers where these people are being brainwashed, or these people are thinking they're alive, or thinking they're a really good place, but they're not. And because we have a front row seat, we long for them to experience safety. We long for them to experience real life, a real home, if you will. One of the very present themes in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is the theme of rescue. From Genesis to Revelation, cover to cover, with, with Adam and Eve, if God does not show up to cover them and rescue, it's over. With Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, I mean the picture of a nation being rescued out of slavery by God. If God doesn't step in with these things, nothing happens. Death and destruction and the end shows up. Gideon, the judges, all, uh, David, all of these, these proclamations in the Old Testament of God, if you don't move, we're done. If he doesn't step in, everything is done. And so we see in the Old Testament, we see this continual cycle, if you will, of the people going, all right, so God, you got us, cool. We're getting comfortable. We love other things. We feel the, express, you know, we feel the consequences of choosing to do life without you. Then we cry out for you to rescue. And God's like, that's what I do. I rescue. I step in. I make a way where there is no way. So as we conclude in Psalm 119 this morning, we see the psalmist not only delighting in the word of the Lord, we see the psalmist delighting in the rescue of the Lord. For 171 of the 176 verses in the Psalms, the psalmist is wondering at God's commands, at his decrees, at his words, at, his, at everything he speaks. But here we continually see this, this whole dependency on the rescue of God. For him to even come close to have wonder about God's word, he has to wonder about God's rescue. Psalm 119, starting in verse 169. O Lord, listen to my cry. Give me the discerning mind you promised. Listen to my prayer. Rescue me as you promised. Let praise flow from my lips, for you have taught me your decrees. Let my tongue sing about your word, for all your commands are right. Give me a helping hand, for I have chosen to follow your commandments. O Lord, I have longed for your rescue, and your instructions are my delight. Let me live so I can praise you, and may your regulations help me. I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commands. Throughout Psalm 119, we've seen the psalmist's dependency on God to help him, to rescue him, to come to his aid, because he finds himself confessing he's struggling obeying God's word. 
He finds himself in the midst of sin and evil and evil people and his tendency to run to what is not good for him. And he finds himself in this struggle. So he continually confesses, God, please help me out here. If you don't step in, I can't even obey your words. If you don't move on my behalf, I'll never love you the way you've called me to. If you don't step in, I'm done. This is the wonder that has just, again, as we've spent this time in Psalm 119, I'm just kind of, I'm baffled at the psalmist's obsession with the word of God. It's because I'm pretty sure he's struck at the wonder of the rescue of God. Thankfully, you and I get to learn from Jesus that God is a God of rescue. Jesus, as he would normally do, walking into a town, going to the synagogue, unpacking the scripture with people. He, do, he was doing this on one occasion, and it actually was the game changer, a game changer for all of us to consider when it comes to what did Jesus come to do? And in Luke chapter 4, we see this. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. This would have been the moment in this scripture where the, the rabbi or the teacher would have sat down and begun to unpack his interpretation of, of, of how we were to take it and to apply it and to live it. And he would have begun to share with them, this is what this means and this is how this works. Jesus does not do that. He makes a statement that would cause everyone to go record scratch sound. And he says this, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus is saying, I am the rescuer. I am freedom itself. I am life itself. In Mark chapter 10, he uses this description of his rescue. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You and I know the action movies where they make the ransom note and they cut out these fancy letters, which has always amazed me that criminals go to crafting school to make these elaborate. I mean, it's like scrapbooking for bad guys is what they're doing. And they're like cutting these. I'm like, why not just write real scribbly so no one can identify your handwriting? It doesn't take hours to make these little letters with exacto knives and whatever, and glue and sparkle paint. Just write the letter. But we see Jesus saying, I'm giving my life. I am going to pay the ransom for you with myself. I'm not giving gold. I'm not giving silver. But my blood will be poured out as an offering, bringing you rescue. In the new Arnold Schwarzenegger translation, it's as if Jesus was saying, come with me if you want to live. That's really what's happening. See, that statement, come with me if you want to live, is not judgmental. It is not condemning. It is things around you, not as they seem. Come with me if you want to live. 
funny because in every one of the Terminator movies, they actually say that line. I don't know if you've noticed it, but in every one of them, they say, come with me if you want to live. And in the last one, they actually flipped it and said, if you want to live, come with me. Now that's good writing. That's great writing. But they did it in every one of the movies because the idea is, obviously in the Terminator movies, everything is bad. I mean, it's not good. And so when someone says, come with me if you want to live, and you close your boots, your motorcycle, come with me. You know, I mean, like, come with me. Yeah, cool. See, what Jesus does is he steps right in and he points right through all the things we love the most in this world. Money, comfort, security, vacations, uh, popularity, relationships, the perfect husband, the perfect girlfriend, the perfect children. He looks right through all of those things and says, come with me if you want to live. Because the idols that we hold so dearly, causing us to think, I've got what I need to live, Jesus is saying, actually, they're keeping you from real life, and they will never offer you the real life you were meant to live. The real life we were made to live was in the rescue of what Christ has done for us. And so when Jesus says, come with me if you want to live, you and I have some, some thoughts, don't we? But is it really that bad, Jesus? Is what I want really that bad? He's saying it's not going to bring you to life. It's not going to bring you all that you hope, all the rescue, the salvation that you hope for will not be found there. And I want you to know real life. Thankfully, Jesus didn't just tell, you know, tell of his role of rescue, but he actually tells us stories that paint a broad picture that God is the God of rescue. Luke 15 is one of my favorite chapters in the Gospels. And it's Jesus giving object lessons because we all love object lessons. And if you don't have object lessons, you can't really be a teacher. You can't learn. And Jesus does it. He's like, look, you, know, you want object lessons? I'm going to tell you about a sheep. I'm going to tell you about a coin. I'm going to tell you about a son. He does that. He tells us about this sheep who, you know, just wanders away, finds himself separated from everybody else. And this shepherd goes gets a sheep. Then he tells us a story about a coin, an inanimate object, having no clue that it's lost, but yet there's still this care for it. And then you have the one where we all kind of go, yeah, the lost son, I get that. That's me. You know, I get the lost. Well, some of us find ourselves relating to that sheep. Uh, you know, I just wander and do my thing. And man, the shepherd found me. Some of us, we're the lost coin. We had no clue we were even lost. Some of us relate to that rebellious son where we know I put my hand up and said, I'm out and I'm going. I love sitting down and discussing why did Jesus tell the story of, uh, uh, you know, talking about the lost coin and talking about the sheep and talking about the son and, and all the different elements and characteristics. But you and I, we can't forget why Jesus told those stories. Jesus actually tells us why he tells those stories. And I think it's important that we remember that. In Luke Chapter 15, starting in verse 5, at the end of the lost story sheep, listen to his words. And when he has found it, the shepherd finding the sheep, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. 
At the end of the lost coin story, listen to how Jesus wraps it up. And when she finds it, that lost coin, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Girl, you got to get over here and, re- and celebrate with me, for I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And at the beginning of the lost son story, read this, verse 11, to illustrate the point further. See, sometimes I think we forget Jesus sometimes tells us why he tells stories. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't wrap it up in a nice package and he leaves us going, what in the world? And this week, and I think this is what I've been struck by the most, completely, in in looking and praying, is that if the celebration is as extravagant as we are told it is, I can only imagine how elaborate the rescue plan is. You know those movies, like the space rescue movies, when all of NASA's in that giant room, you got all these science people and engineers and no one with heart or emotion. What happens when the rescue attempt is a success? No, they jump up, they're like, what, yeah! High-fiving each other, hugging each other. Oh, that was awkward. You know, they're just going crazy because the rescue mission was a success. I can only believe that the reason all of heaven rejoices over one person coming home is because all of heaven knows how elaborate this rescue plan really is. The lengths that God has gone to to find us in our junk. And the Apostle Paul lets us know more about this rescue and what has actually happened In Colossians chapter 1, he says it this way, For he, God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And the amazing part of this rescue is that it is lived out and experienced by faith. See, when you are sitting under tons of rubble, you're not coming up with an escape or rescue plan. You're just not. You are at the total sitting and and waiting, and you are at the, the space of complete and total dependency that that team who has been put into action to bring rescue to you, you are sitting there knowing that if they don't show up, I'm done. This is how we live every day. And knowing who God is and how he is rescued and what he has brought, we experience this not by working our way and doing our part in the rescue. It is going, God, I believe that you rescued me. It is by faith saying, if you are who you say you are and I am valuable to you, then I'm going to believe what you have to say. We put down all of our preconceived ideas and we actually receive this life. This rescue life. You know, the psalmist would look almost as if he contradicts himself because he's like, hey, I love your word and I obey your commands. Hey, I'm not doing it. Hey, I love everything about your ways. Hey, I love my ways. 
And actually, in just my humble opinion, I believe the psalmist is expressing this journey of faith that we will live our entire lives completely dependent on God. It is a humble positioning because it gives us no ground to stand on. It's going, God, you have to move. If you don't, I'm done. The psalmist uses the phrase, rescue me. And the image that we get there is that of prey being released from the jaws of an attacker. If you don't show up, I am going to be consumed. It's over. He says, help me. And I was just thinking about this. What if this phrase was in my vocabulary more? What if it was in the church's phrase of vocabulary more? Help me. I can't do this. Help me brings people in. Help me says, I need you. Help me makes me, makes, makes me honest before you going, I, I'm not as strong as I think I am. Help me. I long for your rescue. It's so amazing to me that the psalmist is still longing for God's rescue, and I think I understand why. Because you and I can probably give testimony to when God has rescued us, when we didn't think there was a way, He showed up, made a way. You know why I think we long for His rescue? Because we want to see Him in action. We want to see God flex His arm that is not too short to save. We want Him to tell the stories of there wasn't, but God made a way. I didn't have it, but God gave it. We want to tell those stories. And so for the psalmist to say, I long for your rescue, it's not just a one-time thing. It's every day. And then he says, let me live. Like, what if that was in our normal, everyday vocabulary when it came to our relationship with God? Do you know that you don't control your heartbeat? Like, I mean, I know Dwight Schrute says that he can raise and lower his own heartbeat, and they're like, why would you want to raise it just to lower it? I get that. But the psalmist says, let me live. He's expressing, I don't control my heartbeat, and if you'll let me live, I'll love your commands. You know that breath that goes in and out of your lungs? It's not up to you. I mean, yeah, you can hold your breath. I get it. But in your day-to-day, you're not thinking about, i got to keep breathing. You're not thinking about, i got to keep my heart beating. The psalmist is saying, let me live. Total dependency. And if God doesn't show up, I'm done. And then we have verse 176. I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commands. The beautiful picture here is not that of a rebellious son. The beautiful picture here is that of a, of a person who knows of God's ways, who has seen God's faithfulness, who has seen God's rescue, and here's him going, God, this is a preemptive strike. If I wander, come and find me. <laughs> if I wander, come and get me. And I'll tell you why I need you to come and get me, because I won't forget your voice. I have seen your goodness and your, your pursuits, and I've seen the cross. I've seen Jesus at work. I've seen his people come around me. I've seen all those things, but right now my current situation is me wandering. You know what? I'm going to need you to show up and find me because I'm not going to forget your voice. I'm not going to forget what you've done. I'm going to try to forget what you've done, but I can't. It's one who's tasted and seen that the Lord really is good. Kicker of all of this, 
Isaiah 53.6 gives us the same ability to reflect the psalmist's declaration. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. That doesn't say some, that says all. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet. I hope you're a big fan of the word yet in the Bible. Yet. The Lord laid on him the sins of us all. If you were to ask people who had very nominal knowledge of what Christianity is, and you were to show them this verse, the answer they give is Jesus. That's who him is. They'll tell you, oh, that's Jesus. See, the problem with this is that was written six to seven hundred years before Jesus showed up on the earth. So you're sitting there going, this is like a 600, 700 year rescue, man, rescue mission planned and, and thought about, whoa, 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 wait a minute. The Bible also tells us that before the foundations of the world, Christ was the plan. You talk about an elaborate rescue plan that has taken since the foundations of the world to see this rescue come through Christ. Why did he take so long? I don't know, okay? Why not just show up and do it right now? I don't know. We do have Paul's words in Romans, though. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know, as the band comes and we we finish our time together and we just respond in worship, the amazing thing about this rescue mission is that whether or not you think you are worthy of rescue is not the qualifier. (laughs) You need to know that because you think, well, I don't bring anything to the table. I don't have anything to offer. I'm not worthy. That's not the qualifier. Well, I'm awesome, I'm great, I'm spectacular. That's not the qualifier. The beautiful thing of the rescue of God is that it's available to those who know they need it. Could it be any simpler? You know, I know you may be thinking, but I'm not worth rescuing. Well, according to the cross, you were. According to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you were worth it. And I, and I don't know where you find yourself in this journey of faith, whether you, you're like, I got no faith, I've never, I don't even know this Jesus, or I've been following Jesus, I've been trying to follow him for 30 years. I don't know where you are, but I know that our cry is the same. We are completely and 100% dependent on God showing up, and if he doesn't, we're done. And so we say, in the same vein, we need you. You know, I told that lost son story in a coffee shop in, um, in East Asia, and we had just a chance to do some things there, and just all, whoever was in the coffee shop, we were able to start kind of engaging in this way. And so all I did was I read the story of the extravagant father and the lost son, in a society that values family relationships in a very strong way. And to hear of a rebellious son who just rejects his family outright, to tell this in this culture was very stirring. 
And so as, we, as I told the story, after the story, we just kind of said, we'd love to have conversations with you, engage and talk. What do you got questions about? This dude grabs the microphone from the person who was hosting the event, and he shoves the microphone in his mouth, and he says, this is a very wonderful story. <laughs> I was like, thank you. <laughs> I, I didn't know what was coming. Dude, he grabbed that mic with an intensity. This is a very wonderful story. Where have you heard this story from? well, it's a story that, that Jesus, Jesus told. And so I said, why don't you and I talk after this thing is over? And so I sat down with him, and I just wanted to know what I was working with. And I just said to him, do you know anything about the Christian faith, being a Christ follower? Do you know anything about that? And he looked at me, and he said, the only thing I know is that God only helps those who help themselves. My heart broke at that moment because the only thing he knew about following Christ wasn't even biblical. And I said to him, the story I just told you sounds a lot different than that, doesn't it? He said, yeah, it does. I don't know if you're in here trying to rescue yourself, because that's what we're all trying to do, right? We're all, we're all trying to save ourselves somehow. We think the right amount of money, the perfect relationship, the having everything in order, we think these things will bring the rescue that we long for when Jesus is saying, come with me if you want to live. And I, like I said, for you this morning, maybe it's time to stop trying to rescue yourself and let the God of rescue intervene. Maybe it's time for you to stop working so hard to do something that Christ has already done on the cross. You know, here's the, here's the beautiful thing about the Psalms that, that really kind of steer us. Some of you, I think, are trying to look at God's word in wonder. You're trying to go, I want to I wanna do that. I want to love his ways. I want to love his commands. I want to love the things he tells me to do and not to do. And I want to love all those things. And you're having a hard time doing it. Well, maybe you, like the psalmist, need to go back and be in wonder of the rescue. Maybe you need to go back and look over your life and maybe you need to journal it and unpack it and process it with people and wonder at how God has kept you alive. Like maybe you need to go, I went through hell and back, but I'm sitting right here now. The wonder of his rescue causes us to wonder at his commands. And if you're trying to do it vice versa, you're going to have a real hard time. It's seeing the cross and all that he has pulled us from and given us that causes us to go, man, I, I just love his ways. <laughs> I just love how God does things. And I'm always in need of that rescue. And so this morning, there's going to be some folks standing over here that are just ready to receive you and just pray for you. If you'd say, I need help, you don't even have to tell them what you need prayer for. They know that they're going to pray for you. I'll be standing over here, same thing. But every week, we have on those seats some cards. And honestly, at Highland, you're not going to get the bow your heads, pray this prayer, fill out this card, you've got your golden ticket to heaven. That's not it. Those cards are an invitation to, I need help. 
I want to walk with somebody, this journey of faith. I have so many questions about who Jesus is, what he's done, the church. I've got a history with the church, and I've been burned by the church, and I need somebody to talk to and be a face that I can have a soundboard with. That's what those cards are for. Yeah, there's stuff on there you probably don't understand, and you know we've got to do a better job of communicating those check boxes. But honestly, those cards are so that you can say, I want to be known, and I need help, and I want somebody to journey with me. That's who we were made to be, going together. And so if that's you, you can, you can fill out that stuff, and we'll, we'll follow up. And it, like John says, man, we go, to, we go to a lot of coffee around here. We, get, we eat a lot of meals around here. We're inviting you into that unapologetically. So this morning, if you find yourself just needing to respond to the rescue of God, do it. Don't delay. Don't hold it off. Make it a front burner issue, not to the side, because if Jesus really is saying he is life, you can't waste any more time. Father, we love you, and I just ask in these moments, you would seal up all that you need us to hear and respond to this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us be a church that wonders at your rescue so that we, in response, go, your words are crazy good. God, thank you for Jesus, that he displays fully your word in action, and that you did not sit back. You did not relent, but you continue to pursue. Thank you for that. It's in your name we pray.